Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, your host. And if you are new to this program, I sincerely thank you for finding us. And if you enjoy it, please subscribe, rate, and review and tell others. But if you have been a loyal fan, we are switching things up again. I am all about continuous improvement. So the format change is minor, but it still is with the intention of creating value. So we are going to start now with some of the people that I have been inspired by. I have been connecting with industry leaders so I can glean their insights about what has worked in their career and what hasn't worked so that we can help other C-suite leaders of today or tomorrow struggle a little bit less. But also, I'll share how we can solve some of those problems with you because I sincerely care about working with you. But also, we will then bring the main attraction, our guest for today. But today, this person I met was amazing. They are not afraid. They are constantly pushing themselves outside their comfort zone, moving in new positions despite colleagues telling them how scary it might be. But this person took the opportunity to constantly reinvent themselves, acquiring new skills along the way and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. But one thing they realize is that they are committed to working and doing the work that they love not necessarily prescribed by the title or job description or education, because even now this individual is moving into a completely new role for which they will love the work, but may necessarily have all of the credentials that is typically what people think we need. And so I cannot wait to see where this person goes, but I was truly inspired by the can-do attitude. We need this as leaders of today and tomorrow. And if you have people in your care that maybe have a fixed mindset and don't think they can reinvent themselves, think again, your leadership is needed now. But I too, I care about you so much and I am so committed to helping the C-suite leaders of tomorrow. I am offering a 50-minute mastermind on July 11th, July 18th, and August 8th at 12 Eastern time. But we are going to maybe offer a few more so we can get everybody in. And during this mastermind, we are going to help people share their value. We're going to give them a framework and give them an opportunity to practice so that they can be seen heard and respected. And sincerely, that is what I'm all about. The Drop-In CEO brand is about supporting the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their careers with confidence. And I sincerely love doing that work. But I also am honored to bring on this amazing guest, Anthony Casablanca. So, so excited to be introduced to him. And he talks about performance, but in a completely different context so that we can avoid crises, but manage people and helping them to optimize their performance for a lasting impact. Let's listen to this amazing conversation. When that emotional world collides with the business world, that's where performance issues begin to arise, right? And so when that funnel hits the ground, performance issues begin to arise. And unfortunately, leaders wait for the performance issue to arise to address that because that's how we're trained. Frankly, that's how we're rewarded. We're rewarded for dealing with performance issues quickly and building high-performance teams. And you're often criticized if you wait too long to deal with the problem. 
And the reality is, if the leader would engage earlier in the process, those performance issues can be mitigated in a lot of instances, right? Because there's sometimes a cause behind the cause, right? And as leaders, we should not start with the person is the problem. We should start with what is behind the problem that we are or the behavior that we're witnessing. And let's have that discussion. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am so excited you've joined us for another episode where week after week, I speak to amazing leaders and bring their insights and inspiration to you. And if you like this episode, please tell others, rate, review, so we can continue to bring you great programming. And most of all, I truly care about you. I am here to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow take control of their businesses and their careers. So I am so excited to share the mic with my amazing guest, Anthony Casablanca. Anthony began consulting to help organizations and leaders discover their true purpose. And as recently as 2019 with his brother Guy, a duly licensed funeral director and co-authored The Dying Art of Leadership. They launched their leadership training company, Grief Leaders, to help organizations change how change is implemented. And Anthony provided an extensive bio. He has so much to offer during this interview. I don't want to take away his thunder, but he is going to be an amazing person to gain his insights from. So I just want to say a warm welcome, Anthony, to the show. Well, Deborah, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be on the show. I'm I'm honored. Thank you. And thank you, Anthony. And just a quick shout out to the beauty of the network, Earl Brian, who introduced us. I am ultimately grateful for the introduction. Anthony is a great person, but also with a very strong message. For my listeners, when I met Anthony, there was something very unique about his message. And while I bring on a lot of people that talk about culture and change within organizations to give you the tools that you need, he has a very, very unique perspective rooted in the area of grief. And grief is wrought with significant change and how we bring the lessons and insights that he has to your daily life as well as your business life and how we can do things better from a human perspective. So it is my honor to have you be on the show, Anthony. I was hoping you could just share a bit about yourself personally, your career journey, and how you've arrived to really do this meaningful work that you're doing now. Sure, sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, so I, you know, I spent 31 years working for uh, Pill and Brand Industries here in in Indiana, and had a whole host of leadership positions through that through that time. Probably the last 12 to 15 years were all in the senior leadership roles: vice president of human resources, vice president of global manufacturing and supply chain, and then ultimately I I ran an operating company for uh, for the parent company that was based in Cincinnati. And through the years, obviously, I had to make lots of decisions and support lots of decisions that impacted the workforce dramatically from closing plants and shutting down shifts to 
lean transformational, you know, cultural transformations. And I was blessed to work for some people who really sort of got the fact that these decisions were not just business decisions. These were people decisions. And so I got to learn a lot of what they didn't realize they were teaching the lessons that we now provide, but I got to learn a lot from them about the emotion of change and how to help leaders and the organization and employees navigate those emotions of either personal change, because things happen in our personal lives, or organizational change. Both of those bring about great emotion that can't just be checked at the door. What a unique perspective, because I have been part of many changes. I am also the person that makes changes. That's why I'm brought in or dropped into organizations. But so often, you never see in the written copy or the PowerPoints anything about emotion. We talk about the technical or tactical elements of it, but as if they are simply chunks of things that you have to get through. Phase one, phase two, phase three, so mechanical. And it's almost like they dip their toe into the emotional part and then they run away real quick. But you seem to have a perspective that emotions are actually something that probably needs to be discussed or dealt with a little bit more than just, okay, it's there and move on. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we see this play out all the time, right? Folks think they have a change management process or that they have a change management plan, but it's really just a communication plan and a project management plan. It is not. In fact, I wish we could go back and change the terminology, right? Because I don't think it's change management. I think it's change leadership. And there is a big difference between the two, right? And I think most folks get caught up in the got to drive for the results, got to get the project done on time. And, and they don't leave the space in the plan and they don't start early enough in leading the emotional component of change. We see it play out all the time that way. You know, I have this visual in my head. So really uh, what you're proposing is that at the top of this event or experience or thing that's going to happen, we start with a change leadership and what are those, what are those different components? Under that is the change management component for which you spoke communication and the project management, but at the highest level, they never include the emotional part and, and not just in mass how we deal with it because there may be individual needs because so this is really important. One of the things that you talk about in your values and beliefs as a company and as you move forward with leaders, you say, you know, our work will change how organizations view their employees' emotional well-being for the better. And I'm just curious, what is the gap? Because this is a touchy topic. I mean, it's one of those things that emotions exist. They have to be dealt with. I don't know if we equip our leaders to deal with those emotional issues. And then it starts treading into the area of how much can I talk about the personal issues because there's this wall of confidentiality that we can't because we are employers and we can't step over that threshold. So tell me a little bit more about what is the gap today in organizations being able to deal with employees' emotional well-being. So you mentioned one of the biggest gaps, which is nobody ever talks about this, right? It's not taught anywhere. And no one recognizes, and, and we, we try very hard to use terminology that distances ourselves, right? Yes. So we talk about people being burned out, and we talk about people being resistant to change. And we have this language that, that distances ourselves, so we don't actually have to deal with the fact that a burned out employee is burned out because of of something that is going on in the culture of the organization that has created that. It's not the employee's problem necessarily. 
there is there is a whole lot of other things going on that has caused that that has created this confluence of events that's literally sort of changed the work contract and that's why people get burned out you know the the big point there is that we don't talk about it we it's not taught this is just not part of any leadership programs any longer and we decided to set out and change that the other thing is People tend not to think about it in terms of the culture of the organization, right? They tend to think about this, if they think about it at all, as an event. There's an event that occurs and we have to deal with the event as opposed to this becomes sort of who we are as a company, right? It's one of the things in our teachings that uh, when we're engaged with organizations that we try to make clear to them is that this, this should be how you run your company all the time. It shouldn't be just, well, I have this change that we're going to implement, so let's do this now. And then we can go back to the old way, right, of, of leading. That, that's not how this should work. So that is the biggest takeaway so far from me. Just know we are five minutes in, and that is absolutely huge. You're speaking to my heart about really getting to the root of the matter because so often businesses react, and there may have been an event for which we got caught off guard or we are told by our legal department, we must have conversations about this, and then we check the box, and then it really isn't a sustaining business system. What you're talking about is that underneath these change events, these life-impacting events, there are root causes or things we need to seek to understand. You have the tip of the iceberg, but then there's all the stuff under, and unless we address all the stuff that's under or make it part of our culture to have open conversation about it, it's always going to fester there. That will be the subculture that may, in times of crisis, detract from your business outcomes. So I want to keep going with this. So one of the things you also talk is there are so many ways or traumatizing events that people could be dealing with in the workplace. It could be in the workplace or at home. And I want to wonder how we can start opening up the conversation to really understand what are people dealing with. How can we even start conversations? How do we equip our leaders to have those conversations so we can better be the leaders of change that our employees are going through? Right, right. So it starts with, we believe, first of all, it starts by by redefining grief. When we are doing speaking engagements or we're, we're brought in to work with an organization, as soon as they hear the word grief, they immediately think of a loss of a loved one. And frankly, that's the smallest component. Grief is actually the emotional and sometimes even physical response to any event that a person perceives to be life-altering and irreversible. And so when you look at it through that lens, any traumatic event in a person's life that's significant enough to change their sense of reality will cause them to enter the five stages of grief and begin to exhibit that. And unfortunately, you just, you can't segregate that in the workplace, right? It's not like you can tell somebody to stop feeling things. And so we've we've used a visual to help people and organizations, leaders understand that. If you think about this in terms of a, a supercell thunderstorm, there's this activity up in the clouds, be it personal or organizational, that happens. And that spawns this tornado that we would call grief, you can call it emotion, you can call it trauma, you can call it whatever you want. When that emotional world collides with the business world, that's where performance issues begin to arise, right? And so when that funnel hits the ground, 
performance issues begin to arise. And unfortunately, leaders wait for the performance issue to arise to address that because that's how we're trained. Frankly, that's how we're rewarded. We're rewarded for dealing with performance issues quickly and building high performance teams. And, and if you, you know, you're often criticized if you wait too long to deal with the problem. And the reality is, if the leader would engage earlier in the process, those performance issues can be mitigated in a lot of instances, right? Because as you mentioned just a little bit ago, there's sometimes a cause behind the cause. As leaders, we should not start with the person is the problem. We should start with what is behind the problem that we are or the behavior that we're witnessing. And let's have that discussion. And yes, you're going to get legal advice that says, hey, you know, you got to be careful and, you know, it's protected and HIPAA. There are no laws against listening. It's just you have to you have to take the cue from the people. But there's nothing wrong with asking what's going on and how can we help? So, again, as you talk, this is really leadership change management. What you're talking about is so similar to what I speak about in the CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track. Often leaders think that they're in pursuit of, you know, seeking results, but they're really pursuing peace of mind. And just next to the peace of mind compass point is a performance compass point. And performance is misinterpreted as the results, the sales, the revenue, the top line growth, et cetera. And what I propose is that it is the gap between an individual person's ability to have their ability to reach a certain performance goal. And in there, you have to ask probing questions. Do you have everything that you need to succeed? Or questions, you know, what's going on? How can I help you? How can I be in service? Because as soon as people have the tools they need, even the emotional support, you close the gap, then their technical skills fulfill their fullest potential, and then you get the results. And when we don't focus on that, you get the results short term, but then like you say, something happens in their life. And then we don't anticipate it. So this should be part of an ongoing conversation. Open our one-on-ones with our people. How are you doing? How are you feeling? What's going on? You address that, the rest of the conversation will go well, the projects, the day-to-day. But start with the human first. What do they need to be succeed emotionally or in their job? Right. So I love this. I love this. So you know, it's interesting as I'm thinking through what you're saying, you are proposing something radically different. And I say that from the standpoint, when I ever come to a new organization, they say, here's your added benefits. We will also give you some free legal advice. Go call this 1-800 number. If you're having any emotional issues, call this other 1-800 number. And it feels like organizations can check the box and say, here's how we support our employees, but they never really integrate it into the conversations. So I'm curious, though, then, if an organization comes to you and says, yeah, we get what you say, we've had issues, we want to change the culture, what are some things that you start teaching leaders to do or say to start to evolve a culture that enlists emotion to address the extent of the issues, whether it's grief or smaller changes? Our principles and the things that we help organizations to to understand and to put processes in place to help navigate really revolve around, if you think about three circles, the first one is a respect for people culture. The second circle is emotional and psychologically safe environment. And the third piece, which often gets overlooked, is what we have called adaptive leadership. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many policies you enact, how many benefits you put in place, how much you have 
banners flying around your organization and things written in bronze. At the end of the day, it comes down to leadership. What we teach organizations is that the more those three circles overlap, the greater the results. It's, it's where the three circles intertwine that results happen. If you have a true and genuine respect for people culture, if you have an emotionally safe environment and you have leaders who understand that it's their responsibility to adapt their leadership approach to meet the needs of their people and the support that their people need in where they are in their career development, in where they are in their current assignment, in where they are in their life situation, in where they are in their role. Now you have an organization that will be incredibly resilient. It will be incredibly trusting. It will have a very high capacity for change. You'll probably have low turnover. You'll have high engagement, great loyalty, right? All of those things come out of that. And unfortunately, Every organization will tell you they respect their people, but but what it means to them is we have benefits that they can call an 800 number, we have an ethics hotline, and we don't offend anybody. And frankly, that is the lowest level of that really treating people with dignity and respect is the lowest level of having a respect for people culture. And we we teach a stair step, actually, that, that ranges from respect for people, dignity and respect, all the way up to having a purpose-driven mission, knowing what we really do, not what we make, is, is, is critical, as well as some other components that in the chain, in the stair step, is where leadership courage, leadership vulnerability, leadership compassion, that's where that emotionally safe environment is built. And so that's what we teach, right? We teach leaders to begin to engage in the discussion and to not assume it's the person but that there's something underlying the change that they're witnessing in the performance or in the behavior, or hopefully being proactive and understanding that something is going to lead to, right? Some event that the organization is undertaking is going to lead to a change. And how do we support the people? Unfortunately, we oftentimes overlook the frontline leader and realize that they too are going through the exact same emotions. And if we skip over them and not have these conversations with them as well and not recognize and acknowledge the emotions that they're feeling, they'll never be able to have those discussions with their people either. And so that's a real missing component in a a lot of organizations. So I'm grateful that you help leaders with this work. And I've been smiling as you've been sharing this because I believe I had the good fortune of working with such a leader. I was asked to come into the organization because there was one, a loss of a leader who had departed the organization. They were dealing with a very difficult situation with a customer, as well as they knew that they were going to actually, from a business perspective, shutting down a plant. So they were about to go through a lot of pain. And while we did lose a few people, most stayed. Because we respected the people, we provided them the resources to not only do the work now until closure, as well as resources after the closure so that they could continue to sustain their lives. That is a leader that I believe has that adaptive leadership, cares about the emotions of the people. And, and I love that work. So I, I recognize that. I will also say all those things that you talk about that we should be teaching leaders about that. I've been in corporate 30 years and we never had conversations about how to deal with people's emotions, how to ask those questions, et cetera. So I'm grateful for you to do this work. 
Now, I do want to get to shortly, you have six principles or questions organizations should be asking. But before we go there, the work that you do, I would love for you to maybe share how you, your company have worked with leaders that recognize the need for this as part of their culture. What was their situation when maybe you started working with an individual or group? And what was that transformation like? So I'll give you I'll give you three quick examples from both from my career and from the work that we're doing. So from my career, I was given the task of having the unfortunate task of having to shut down a, a, a plant in the Northeast. And this story is actually in our book. And again, working for a leader who really got this, although didn't really organize the principles in this format. He was a very strong HR person, and he told our board of directors that we were going to give this plant a year's notice against their wishes because they said, you don't understand, there's going to be sabotage, there's going to be, there's going to be vandalism, there's going to be all kinds of things, right? He said, well, we're going to give them a year's notice. It was a union plant, so we had to negotiate with the union, although we listened to what they wanted. We knew how we were going to treat our people. We let the union take credit for it, but frankly, we far exceeded anything that the union was really asking for. And then the real work began. And he said, within 24 hours of us announcing that we had reached an agreement with the union, he wanted all 200 workers to be talked to in person, in their native language. There were five languages spoken in the plant to have their benefits explained to them, which we did, spoke with all 200 of them. And then over the course of the next year, I traveled up there every single year, every single week, and we literally plotted all 200 people on a matrix to understand how we would need to lead those people to help them get to the most successful outcome. We were looking for the people in the upper right who we thought would have the least problem, but could help us carry messages and help others in the organization. And we really focused on the folks in the bottom. The average age in the plant was 57, and they had like 25 years. For most, this was all they'd ever done. At the end of the day, all 200 people either had new jobs or were able to retire. And the plant met all of its safety, quality, cost, and delivery goals over those 12 months with no vandalism, no sabotage, no anything. In fact, the workforce development group said if every organization would shut companies down like this, we wouldn't need a workforce development group to help handle this for people. Wow. And the dozen or so people who remained on the last day actually swept up and cleaned up their workstation as if they were coming back in on Monday. And it was, it was an amazing, amazing experience. Second episode, leading a lean, lean transformation in one of our plants. We used to do a go see, ask why, show respect tour. We showed up at a, at a place where the organization had been losing a lot of its production cycles, and they were showing us this new visual management system that they had put in place. And as, as the group sort of moved on, I lagged back, and I, I said, I'll never forget the gentleman's name. His name was Pete. And I said, Pete, tell me, you're the worker, right? You're the guy doing the job. Is this really as great as everybody's leading me to believe it is? And his response was remarkable. He said, yes, it is, because I used to go home every day thinking that I was the reason that the plant wasn't making its production numbers because this area happened to be the, the, the source of most of the issues. Totally not his fault. It was a process breakdown. But he said, I would go home every day stressed, feeling like I had failed and like the organization, like I was the reason that 
that we weren't making our numbers. And now I don't go home feeling that way anymore. And in that moment, I realized the positive impact of change, as well as the fact that our people were not just replaceable cogs in the big machine. And while we think they just come to work to get a paycheck, it's deeper than that. And so that played into these principles. And then here most recently, um, we're engaged with an organization in the Baltimore area who is going through a lean cultural transformation, right? A lean transformation. I shouldn't say cultural, lean transformation. And they realized that lean is as much about culture as it is about the tools and the Kaizen events and processes and standard work. And so to their credit, they said, hey, we need to understand our culture here. And is it good? Is it, is it, what is it? And will that culture support what we want to do? Or when the lean consultants leave, are we just going to go back to the way we used to do things like their people are complaining has happened before? And so they've engaged us to do a cultural assessment to try to help answer, you know, the six questions you, you mentioned the list of questions, right? And so they've engaged us in a cultural assessment to help them identify the answers to those questions and propose potential solutions to, to get a culture in place that will support the changes that are coming. Because a lean transformation is, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of change that occurs to work, the way work is done. Sometimes there's reductions in force. Sometimes people are in new roles. There's a lot of change that a lean transformation will, will embed in an organization. And these guys recognize that. So I've had an interesting experience on that topic. So for those of you that listen to the show, you know that I have skills in Six Sigma and Lean. And Lean is a great tool to make things you know, more efficient, visual management, all of that. But one of the things that was interesting was during my schooling in that, we were taught all the technical tools to apply and get the results. And never once, and I don't know why we missed this, they never talked or started from a place of culture culture and examining and understanding the culture. It was more about the technical skills and let's get the results. And I wonder if that organization truly realized the benefits and the underlying tones. And now I'm in an organization where I've been asked to make changes, but I am studying and listening and looking at the subculture. And I'm finding that the culture may be risk averse. They may be afraid to confront and have critical conversations. And that slows down the process. Now, for me, I know these things. I need to talk to each individual, know where their head is, understand the barriers, and then facilitate the change so that people feel comfortable coming together, providing information and communicating in a safe space for which undertone prevents advancement of those things. People deflect, people don't meet, people miss the meeting, people respond to an email erratically, and it just slows things down or erodes all the good work that you're doing. One of the things, though, that I really, really love this question, we won't go deep into this, but this is so profound. When you talk about the questions, the cultural change, the very first one that you talk about is, do we even care? Do we care about an organizational's emotional leadership health? That is such a strong question. Do we care? And even if people say yes, what's the next question to make sure, do they really care? I'm curious. If they say they care, then the next question we ask is, so then do you understand your organization's emotional and leadership health? To which many are taken by surprise. You can tell the organizations that do and don't because the leadership fumbles around with it, or they give you some textbook answer, but it's clear that 
that as you watch the work unfold, right? So I'm a, I am a big believer that to change the culture, you have to go all the way back and change the work, right? And so if I ask the leadership organization or the, the leaders of the organization, so tell me what your leadership process looks like, and they can't answer that, they're probably not, they probably don't understand. They probably really couldn't answer the first two questions correctly, right? Because if their leadership process doesn't include engagement in the workforce, going and seeing, right, one-on-ones with their people, and right, if there's no real process in place, if they just sort of manage by walking around and, and not really engaging with anybody, if there are no avenues for employee roundtables and you know town hall meetings or whatever you want to call those kinds of things where they are actually engaged with the workforce, they are getting the filtered responses to what is our culture in this organization, right? They're being told probably what they want to hear. And then, you know, from a change context, then that leads to, so do we have a, do we have a change management process that actually addresses the emotion of change, right? Or do we just have a communication plan when we're talking about change, you know, the emotion of change in a specific event? So those are the first sort of three questions that we ask organizations to think about. And then that leads to, is our culture ready for what we're about to do? And are our frontline leaders ready, right? Have we engaged them? And do we, do we recognize that they will be going through those same emotions? And then the final question is, is our change management process really robust enough, right? Or do we just have a communication plan? So you got me thinking a little bit, and this this framework is amazing. And I just, I just love the first question is, do you care? Because if they can't clearly articulate how they care, then everything else is just so superficial. But I think the other thing is when I look at or think about my aspiring C-suite leaders, we can have a top-down initiative, a cultural change. But if we don't have one, how then do we help them to manage up? So if they are feeling uneasy about the change, you know, we should be equipping them with tools or how to have those hard conversations, be able to go to their boss and say, hey, can I talk to you? Yes, I feel comfortable in what we're doing, but may I share with you how I'm feeling. I just want to talk through how I'm feeling about it because I got people over here that are asking me questions and I don't feel equipped. So I think aspiring C-suite leaders can definitely leverage a lot of what Anthony has talked about is that if it's not being talked about, be the leader that you would want in your leaders and start asking those questions and drive the conversation. Yes, yes. And if they're not comfortable going to their leader, right, that's a problem in and of itself. They can turn that and go to their team. That's a very powerful thing because when the leader begins to to behave the way he would like his or she would like their team to behave, the team will take notice, right? And so if the leader goes to the team and says, look, you guys have to be struggling with this because I'm struggling with it. And let me tell you what I'm struggling with. And frankly, I don't have the answer and I'm hoping we can figure this out together. That in and of itself will open up the space to start having the very conversations that you're talking about. And while that leader may not be able to have that discussion with their boss, their team will begin to emulate behavior that their boss will take notice of and go, wow, what's going on with Deborah's team? They seem to be navigating through this really, really well, much different than other parts of the organization. Actually, you know, it works up and down. And so that's what I talk about is that the people that are aspiring, if they don't see the change that they want to see, be the change. And I think there's a famous quote, and and people will stop modeling that behavior from either the bottom up or the top down as well. And you can be the leader just by setting the example. So 
you and I could talk on and on and tell stories for our listeners, but we'll bring this to a close shortly. Are there any last thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners as we bring this to a close? Keep in mind that at the end of the day, people often ask me, you know, so what works, right? What are you seeing out there that works? And I can tell you what doesn't work is trying to policy, procedure, and mandate your way to a respect for people and an emotionally safe culture. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to leadership. And this is about, this is about, especially in dealing with change, change is about emotion and it's about people. It's not about the things. McKinsey did a study that said that 70% of the cause of change failures is human and cultural. It is not whether you had the right strategic solution or whether you had the right technical solution or whether you managed the project well. They fail to deliver on the results because of the human and cultural issues that arise when change is introduced. Leaders need to never forget that statistic. And folks who are heading up organizational change management departments need to remember that, right? It's not about the project plan. It's about the people. At the end of the day, it's about the people and leadership. And on that note, there is nothing more for me to add. That is an amazing closing thought. So Anthony, I am so grateful to have been introduced to you and be able to bring this conversation to our listeners, hoping that they can think about, first think before do, think about some of the principles you talk about, dealing with grief, dealing with change, all the principles. It starts with humans and understanding their emotional and physical response to these changes, and you can be the leader of tomorrow. So I wish you, Anthony, continued success. Thank you for being an amazing guest. Well, thanks, Deborah. Appreciate being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.